What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the 37th episode of Season 2. Today, we're going to be answering fantasy football's toughest questions, talking about which Bengals wide receiver to target at their ADP, the player we are buying the most from training camp news, and talking about which player will let fantasy managers down the most this year, as well as the player that will lead fantasy players to the title this year. Joining me to break this all down is a returning guest on the podcast. He is an avid lover of the greatest college football game of all time, NCAA 14, the acting president of the Cordell Patterson fan club. He is the writer and creator of the 100 Day Fantasy Files series, as well as the host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast with one of the best voices in podcasting and over 61,000 followers on Twitter. You know him, you love him. He is Ian Harditz. Welcome back to the show. Great to be here again, man. Appreciate you having me on. And, you know, I really appreciate that NCAA 14 tidbit there. I grind more hours in that game than just about <laughs> anyone out there. I know my guy Thor over at Roto World fancies himself the king. And, you know, he does have the crown for now. But one of these days, maybe we'll set up a pay-per-view and find out who really is best on the joysticks. Because believe me, man, you give me that Auburn playbook, uh, you will not be seeing anything other than a score sorry, with a five <laughs> on that scoreboard. I absolutely love to hear it. Because, again, I think it's still one of those games the one of the no, not know about rare games there's so many great games that you can still play now but like a game like that it just doesn't get any better and um it sounds like are they they're bringing it back right they're they're bringing it back finally after all these years allegedly man we'll see how it goes i mean we got these nil (laughs) deals going now like why not we got uh you know some guy named kool-aid mckinley getting paid by kool-aid i think we can have a video game where the guys get a few (laughs) extra bucks so fingers crossed we've been hearing it for a few years but i hope so man for sure, for sure. But I'm super excited for it. It'll be another great way to do it. But at least in the meantime, we still have NCAA 14, some people updating the rosters for us and, you know, giving us a little bit of something until they finally get us a game. But, you know, it's August. It's the best time for fantasy season. It, in a weird way, it almost feels like football season is is kind of here in a way, even though it's not with all the training camp hype and everything like that, all the things that get us excited. That's probably what we're talking about today because these are tough questions and these are people that I get questions all the time from people asking me, okay, well, what about this? What about that? What about this training? camp news reporter what about this guy who are you targeting from this team but that's why we're here today that's why i brought in a great guest like you after you've been grinding for a hundred days doing your fantasy file series but with that said let's get right into it with some of these tough questions the first question i have for you today that i think is one of the toughest ones um is what player right now are you buying the training camp hype from the most obviously there's a lot of beat reporters saying a lot of things and a lot of guys making a lot of plays but sometimes they're in shells pads shorts doesn't matter but from everything that you've heard so far, who's the one guy that you've heard news from over and over that you're really starting to buy the hype or maybe move up your ranks a little bit because of what you're hearing? I think it's been Jalen Waddle because I've had to look at his situation closer than just about anyone because of all the nonsense going on on Twitter about the guy. The reason why Jalen Waddle is going as like the wide receiver 48 right now is because about 15 days ago, a reporter talked about how Jalen Waddle went out for a pass in practice and he fell to the ground. He took an extra minute to get up before he resumed practicing. And the reporter brought up a great point how Waddle wasn't hurt, but the last thing he needs right now is an injury. And that's it. That's why people are fading Waddle right now and because they think he walks around with a limp even though he was walking around the same exact way before he got hurt against Tennessee when he was at Alabama. I'm sorry the guy has so much swag that people seem to think that he's moving at a different speed than everyone else, but that is the reality when we see him out there on the practice field. And one report after another has been talking about him putting dudes in blenders, moving at a different speed. The guy was the sixth overall pick. A hell of a lot of people were in on Waddle over Devontae Smith as a pure down talent and you could argue waddle is the one that went to the better year one situation so it's this phantom injury which seems to be overshadowing the fact that waddle has been the best receiver at dolphins training camp i mean albert freaking wilson has been getting more hype and love than waddle it seems like out there nothing against albert i know his yards per hour run was great in 2018 or whatever it was but for me like waddle and will fuller like the answer to waddle versus fuller is both because they're both being drafted and wide receiver four tear 
territory, which is just absolutely insulting to me. So for Waddle, it's been a guy where, again, if you read through uh, the just more than you know the tweet headline that you get out there from some people, if you read the actual articles, I think you're seeing that the guy is going to be locking the three wide receiver sets from day one. And my God, man, he might get that same like seven and a half target per game role that Lynn freaking Bowden was getting at the end of last year. So for me, Waddle is this top tier talent that usually I would expect people to almost be over ranking because we spend so much time on these rookies throughout the offseason, legit top 10 pick. Like nobody ranked Waddle outside of like our top three receivers going in the draft. And suddenly for factors that make absolutely no sense to me, he's falling way behind half these other rookies that we were all, you know, very clear that Waddle was better than just a couple months ago. So Jalen Waddle, I think the epitome of someone being drafted closer to their floor than ceiling. Can't get enough of him in fantasy land right now. I love it. I love it. I have to ask for the I mean, for myself and for the fans. Like right now, with I mean, again, you talked about all the Waddle hype, all the things that he's doing in camp. Where do you have him com- ranked compared to Will Fuller this year, right now? Let me pull him up. I have him ahead of Fuller. I will say that, like, oh, you, you do. Know, okay. Yeah, there have been some drafts where I take Fuller first, though, because I know Waddle's probably going to be there uh, on the come around. I have Waddle as, and I'm updating my ranks today. Waddle's my wide receiver, 32. I have Fuller a few spots down, wide receiver, 38. With Fuller missing week one, it does uh, make a difference with it. But I just think that Waddle's the one probably getting the more PPR-friendly and that just by that account, fantasy friendly, just a shorter, more consistent looks. But really, I think, you know, if you can get Waddle and Fuller, it's just a dream best ball stack because then Tua is always easily available to get a few rounds later. So again, I don't want to, you know, put my complete foot down and say Waddle over Fuller for sure. Again, I think it's both. Same thing with uh, Mostert versus Sermon. Like, you know, I've been, I'm becoming this, like I'm hyping up Raheem Mostert when in reality, I think both of those guys, where they're going is perfectly fine. Yeah, no, I love that. And wow, I mean, I don't, I don't have the consensus ranks in front of me, but thirty-two for Waddle has to be one of the higher ranks in the industry. Um, and that's that's definitely something I, I think as well that I'm definitely taking note of with everything going on. Another guy that I think that I'm really starting to buy the training camp hype about is someone like Jerry Judy. I think all signs already pointed out to him having a year two breakout in my eyes at least. And the fact that I mean, the first day of training camp, it was um, Justin Simmons, their All Pro safety, were like, "This guy is going to be a Pro Bowler and All Pro this season." Their GM George Patton said that this guy is going to be a top. I mean, this guy might already be a top five wide receiver in the league. And then every day, it's Jerry Judy's making play after play, he's staying after practice. And you know, you know, Ian, the guys that catch fifty balls on a jugs machine after practice. Those are the guys that we want, obviously, because it obviously means that they're going to produce in fantasy. Obviously, if you can't hear my sarcasm, hopefully you understand that now. But again, Jerry Judy is another guy that I really, really believe in. But another guy that's getting a lot of hype that I mean, I, I want to ask about is someone like CeeDee Lamb. So I love CeeDee Lamb. I love everything coming out. I don't love the fact that there's hard knocks about him and they're going to see a couple training camp highlights and people are going to be wanting to draft him. But the thing that concerns me right now is for consensus ranks, at least he's going as the wide receiver 12 right now. And the problem for me is because when we talk about tiers and drafting is I feel like the tier right above him is where things end for me is why I wouldn't really take him where he's going at wide receiver 12, because the three guys that are going in front of him in consensus ranks are Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. I mean, I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm mistaken, but I think that those guys I'm, I think are a little bit a good amount safer than CD Lamb right now. So I would be selling him at the wide receiver twelve purely because of where he's going in drafts at his ADP. But are you feeling the same way about CD Lamb? I think he's going to be a great player. I think he's just going a little bit too early for my liking right now. How are you feeling? Twelve to me is okay. An underdog, he's wide receiver nine somehow, which is absolutely oh ridiculous. So twelve is where I have had him rank the whole offseason. Okay. Really, I'm not changing his ranking though, based on training camp highlights. Like, come mm-hmm. on, people! I still have Amari Cooper one spot higher because as great as CD was in that split with Dak. Amari was the one that was second in the league in targets. Amari was the one working as the wide receiver one. And yeah, the Cowboys invested a lot in CD. They also have a hundred million reasons why they should continue to feature Amari Cooper dynasty. Absolutely. I think the only guys you could even rationalize ranking ahead of CD and dynasty are Justin Jefferson, and AJ Brown. So I get I it. The future is bright. And again, I have them ranked 12, but I just think that, yeah, Terry Cooper, AJ Brown, Jefferson, all these guys should be going ahead of CD at the moment. I have Alan Robinson wide receiver 13, just one spot behind him. I, you know, I look at it right now and I almost want to flip it. It's very close. I guess my thing with a Rob is, He did bust one year. He's him, DeAndre Hopkins, the same year, I think when Brock Osweiler was there, and like 2012, Larry Fitzgerald. Those are the only three instances of a receiver in the past 10 years getting 150 or more targets and not even returning top 24 
value. The season before that with Blake Bortles, Robinson had like 14 touchdowns. So he has largely overcome a career of bad quarterbacks, just like DeAndre Hopkins. I'm still not thrilled that we need to maybe have another year with more, maybe not great quarterbacks. I love Justin Fields. I think he's going to be great. It's perfectly possible for Fields as a rookie to not be an incredible quarterback right away. Andy Dalton, I don't think is anyone's idea of an incredible quarterback and never has been. So my thing with Robinson is we have him to having to learn from two more quarterbacks that we think are going to be better. And I would say they're probably going to be better. He's my wide receiver 13. I'm not down on the guy by any stretch. I just think that, again, having to ask this guy to learn from two new quarterbacks in an offense, that's, you know, overall, I wouldn't say we're expecting to be this like juggernaut by any stretch. I just want more exposure to the Cowboys uh, group, even if Robinson's going to have more targets there. But you can't really go wrong uh, with those guys. I got the Buccaneers receivers uh, right after him. I think it's a nice spot in fantasy. And it's honestly why like, I find myself going with the – I think the kids are calling it anchor RB these days. Like Going full uh, going full zero RB, I, I don't like as much. I do think wide receivers are a little bit deeper. So if you can come away with at least just one of those top running backs early, I'm fine forfeiting a chance you know, at Diggs or Hopkins because I know I can get someone like CD or Robinson around later. Absolutely. I'm with you there. The other other question I had is with you said CD Lamb is your wide receiver 12. Is Amari Cooper above him or below him in your ranks right now? Yeah, he's one spot above, has been okay. the whole offseason. I mean, yeah, okay. okay. The him coming into camp injured wasn't great, but he followed the schedule. I think he even beat the schedule they laid out yeah. for him. By all accounts, seems perfectly healthy. I think he's only I think I'm pretty sure Cooper has missed literally just two games his entire career. I know he's one of these guys that's kind of been banged up uh, throughout different stretches, but he's always out there and playing. And I think as great as CeeDee Lamb could be, I mean, Amari Cooper already is pretty pretty freaking fantastic in his own right. So we all want to jump on the next big thing, and that is CeeDee. Uh, just don't forget that Amari Cooper is right there, and last year was on a pretty damn uh, awesome pace himself before Dak went down. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing I wanted to emphasize, and that's why I asked especially, is because there's so many people right now that are like, C.D. Lamb is already way better than Amari Cooper. And I mean, Dynasty, sure, long-term, okay. But right now, this season, going into his prime at 27 for Amari Cooper when you said he's missed like two games in his career, not ready to rank C.D. Lamb yet. Could it happen? Absolutely, but I am not ready. Another team that there's been some, I don't know about training camp hype because it's been a lot about this offense, about how they're not producing totally well and how there's – I mean, good days, bad days with Joe Burrows. He's the Bengals offense. And I think the one of the biggest things that's tough for fantasy managers, especially myself, to figure out right now is the Bengals wide receivers. I think they have three really great wide receivers that are all great for different reasons, like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. They're all going at a little bit different ADPs. But which wide receiver right now from the Bengals are you targeting the absolute most um, between the three at their given value? I know you did a little series on this, so I think this is a great, great question to ask you. Easily Tyler Boyd, in my opinion. Okay. And I have him ranked as the third Bengals receiver. I have Chase as my wide receiver, 22, Higgins, 23, and Boyd, 24. Now, the rest of the public is like with me on Chase and Higgins, but then Boyd is down there in the wide receiver 30 range. And some of the answers that people have for like why they're fading Higgins are just absurd. There's the, oh, he doesn't have the same upside as those guys. What gives us that idea? This dude was the wide receiver 11 last year before Joe Burrow got injured. Like in full point per reception formats, like upside is a guy that catches five passes every single week and then can maybe score a touchdown and give you 100 yards sometimes as well. Like just because someone's a slot receiver doesn't mean they don't have upside. I'm sure your friend will tell you that Cole Beasley, you know, is this consistent, steady guy. That dude had five games with at least 100 yards last year. Like we need to just kind of realize that particularly in today's NFL, when teams are more and more using, you know, their dope receivers in the slot, like the slot guys can have plenty of upside as well. It seemed like we were talking up Boyd using the slot as a positive last year, saying, look at Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson at LSU. But now somehow people have warped the public's mind to think that adding Jamar Chase to replace AJ Green's corpse is somehow bad news for the other wide receivers involved. Like all that's going to do is help the offense as a whole. So it seems like people are finally starting to forget a little bit about like what one bad training camp report that came out of Cincy that seemed to like nosedive everyone's ADPs. 
Tyler Boyd to me seems like almost like the new generations like Jarvis Landry. I know they're like that. They're not that much different in, in age or anything like that, but he's the guy that is just continuously like 10 to 12 spots under ranked. And I just love getting him, uh, you know, really I've, he's kind of moving up around like six or seven. You gotta get him these days, but when he was going closer to nine, 10, man, it was just an auto pick for me every single time. So it's just all about the ADPs. And I think we see it, you know, with like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, we got the hamstring uh, thing there. Now it's a little bit different. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, but you look across the league and you just see these situations and where it's like, hold on, like why is one guy being priced so much lower than the other guy when if we look at the target totals, I think we would expect them to be uh, pretty equal. So don't hate the player, hate the ADP. And I think Tyler Boyd's uh, ADP right now is an insult to where we should be projecting him to finish. I, I could not be in more agreement with that. And I think people don't realize that enough. I mean, this is still a team that people think that just because Jamar Chase is there, that all of a sudden T Higgins and Tyler Boyd just aren't going to be anything. People are forgetting the fact that with, I mean, AJ Green's corpse, like you said, and Gio Bernard and a couple other random guys, they have 194 vacated targets for which people that don't know, that's 194 targets that were in this offense last year that are leaving. Higgins is still there. Boyd is still there, and there was still almost 200 targets that are left up for grabs. So I don't think Chase is going to really hurt Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins. I think both of them are almost values in drafts right now, especially from like last year, weeks 2 to 10, which is an eight-game half-season stretch, and half PPR. Half PPR, Tyler Boyd was the wide receiver 14. Higgins was the wide receiver 15. And, and, and at that point, I think A.J. Green was like second or third in the NFL in air yards. I don't, I don't know how that's a thing at that point in the stretch, but like you said, like I just said, they were both top 15 wide receivers with Joe Burrow. This is a team that was first in pace last year, first in pass attempts before Joe Burrow got hurt. I mean, I expect more of the same this year. I'm not saying that Joe Burrow is going to come out and light the world on fire in week one, but I think Boyd and T. Higgins are the values, but T- Tyler Boyd is the guy that I'm going after again. I think Tyler Boyd's criminally underrated every year, kind of like a poor man's Robert Woods, a guy that just always beats his ADP yeah. and fills a solid role for your team. Um, but enough about that. But another team, you know, let's stay in the AFC North and the tough wide receiver because I guess everybody in the AFC North has just tough wide receivers to figure out is the, is the Steelers. Um, you were on my podcast. You were the first episode of the season. We talked about a certain Steelers wide receiver. So I'm, I want to see if we're still on the same page here. But what Steelers wide receiver right now are you buying the most at their ADP? Oh, it's always Deontay. And, you know, one, one of the things I was saying, um, I had uh, 10 tips for like your fantasy drafts article come out one of my points was don't get cute early because like there were a lot of drafts where i had deontay johnson ranked as my wide receiver 15 and i would look and it'd be like you know he's down there behind like 10 or 12 other receivers and adp but i have him ranked ahead of all them so i will take someone else and let everyone else take other receivers and then get deontay so you don't need to necessarily be a slave to your rankings go get your guy more so in the later rounds of the drafts because we have a better i think ability to kind of judge adp and where the people are going to be going in the earlier rounds when things are a little sharper. So Deontay and man, nothing about the preseason has changed my mind about that. I mean, he's been working out there in 12 sets, you know, out wide. The idea that like the drops are an issue has always just been comical to me. I mean, look at the draft, look at the drop leaderboards over the past two years and you're just going to see a bunch of great receivers. Nobody's penalizing DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, Michael Gallup, like all these guys have had just about the same amount of drops as Deontay over the past two years and we don't care. And some people have Hey, let's ask questions about it. That's fine. But some people try to say, oh, well, Deontay's are so close to the line. And next-gen stats has come out and actually proven that the targets closer to the line of scrimmage result in more drops historically. So uh, just basically, I think the reasons why people are fading them don't add up to me. The targets last year were out of control, specifically when you account for the games he was missing uh, due to injuries. So Deontay, man, I think people are just hesitant to call the guy a great receiver because he doesn't have the – same sort of, you know, ridiculous efficiency stats as, you know, a Chris Goblin or a Calvin Ridley, kind of our past uh, third-year breakout guys. But I think he's got the volume to make up for it. And, again, just based on what I've seen from the eye test and everything, we got a guy that's capable of being a yak monster. They use him a punt returner for a reason. And he can make plays down the field as well. So I really wanted to come up with a tweet uh, recently because he hasn't dropped the ball in the preseason. So I was going to be like, you know, last time Deontay's dropped the ball was 2020. Fortunately, have one go off his hands in the uh, 2021 divisional round <laughs> or wild card game against the Browns. So I can't quite say that. Uh, with that said, again, like don't be fading this guy purely for the drops. You need to have a hell of a lot of targets uh, to have that many drops in the first place. Same reason why, you know, Jerry Judy gets some hate, but I think, you know, people have kind of forgotten about that over time as well. So Deontay, Jerry Judy, like if anything, we should be chasing drops in fantasy football because it just tells us more so uh, who's getting open a lot and who isn't. 
Yeah, and I think that's the thing you pointed out that people don't realize enough when it comes about drops. Drops aren't Kenny Galladay 50-50 balls where they just slip out of their hands. Drops are drops are charted open receivers that drop the pass. I know it's not a good thing because they dropped in their open, but like Deontay last year, depending on the site that you look at, that's 10 to 16 times where he was open and didn't catch the pass. Imagine all the yards or maybe even touchdowns that he'd be getting if he didn't drop all those passes. And like you said, the drop leaderboards are always the guys that are getting targets because of the guys that are consistently getting open. People know on this podcast, Deontay Johnson was one of my three my guys this year. I mean, this guy is still the wide receiver seven from week six on last year in half PPR. And Matt Harmon's reception perception where he charts how well people get open he was sixth in beating man coverage he was number one in the nfl in beating zone i mean he was in the top 14 percent in beating press beat double teams 87 percent of the time i mean all these things are just showing how well this guy is getting open and dominating at the nfl level and the last thing i'll say that i've talked about this over and over and over and i have to talk about it one more time again is the ta- is the pass attempts P- people are so worried that because they had Najee harris that all of a sudden they're not going to pass the ball but i mean this is still a team that was top two in pass attempts three out of the last four years and even i did a study on this that if you take their worst pass attempts since 2013, that is an eight-year sample size. If you multiply that pass attempts by Deontay's target share last year, which includes the games that he left, he's still going to get 133 targets. And he had 144 last year, and that's in 16 games. Jeez. And again, and it's just it's ridiculous to me. I'm all in on Deontay Johnson. People don't need to hear me. I'm I'm thankful that we're on the same page here of that you believe in Deontay just like I do. But another one of the crowded, we'll move to running backs a little bit. Another one of the crowded backfields or cores or whatever you want to call it is the Cardinals. And I think this one is, is very intriguing for fantasy. And I think people have a lot of different opinions on it. And that's why I have you here to give your take is Chase Co- Chase Edmonds or James Conner at their ADP. Or maybe not, I'm not necessarily how you have them ranked wise, but who are you buying the most or getting the most shares of between James Conner and Chase Edmonds right now? More so Edmonds. Connor kind of flew up the ranks a little more than I thought. Uh, I was more on Connor last year, and he really had the role. It just kind of, they just, the way that Steelers offense kind of transitioned throughout the year didn't quite add up. So with Connor, I mean, it's one of those things where if they had like really signed him on to a bigger deal and not had like anybody there, then maybe we can get behind it more. But they've been pretty consistent telling us that they like Chase Edmonds throughout the offseason. And last year, with Kenyon Drake there and, you know, really just being the guy that we're thinking Connor maybe could be, Edmonds still finished as the wide receiver, the wide receiver, the running back uh, 25 and four point per reception scoring. You know, Rondale Moore, some of the way they were ways they were using him, I would say there's some concern that Edmonds, you know, a lot of those targets he was getting could just now be uh, flown through Rondale Moore. But I still think Edmonds, you know, if I am dipping into that, you know, quote unquote RB dead zone, he's kind of the guy I am going for. I have him ranked as my RB 24, you know, just ahead of like Kareem Hunt, Mostert, Jacobs, Damon Harris, basically just ahead of all the guys that aren't going to catch passes because I still think. Edmonds' best case scenario role is as, you know, splitting kind of lead back duties with almost like an Austin Eckler esque uh, receiving role. So we got to see how it works out. You know, Connor wasn't out there in that last preseason game, so we didn't get a good look at this situation. But Edmonds was working pretty exclusively with the first team. As much as people still want, you know, Benjamin to become a thing, and he looked good in the preseason for what it's worth. He was just buried on that depth chart, wasn't getting any looks against the first team. So I appreciate a player profiler comping, you know, to Duke Johnson. And so I'm now a, uh, you know, quiet, qu- quiet closet, you know, stand uh, for that comparison alone. But with that said, I am still riding Chase Edmonds more. Uh, Connor for me, where do I have him? I got Connor more in like RB 41. I might bump him up a little bit more. He's right there in that kind of thick of like, okay, you know, Jamal Williams, uh, Miles Gaskin now, unfortunately. Latavius Murray, Gus Edwards, like the flex with benefits, which was the phrase that Mike Wright from uh, the fantasy footballers came up with where, hey, maybe he can get you some solid weeks, uh, you know, just as the reserve. And then God forbid something happens to Edmonds, maybe Connor can get that featured role. I would just say though, man, like I don't like saying uh, guys are injury prone. I know Dr. Uh, Edwin Porras with Fantasy Points has great research on this Connor is one of those guys that even Edwin isn't really all that comfortable in chasing year after year so if Connor falls to me great he's just not someone I've like actively been trying to go after in most of my drafts this year yeah I'm with you I'm with you in a sense I mean I think Edmund's just a guy that I'm not ending up with many shares of at all because I think people are just always willing to take him a little earlier than I am just because I'm hesitant and I think the thing is I think that people I actually do think Connor can produce more I just don't like he's not someone that has a lot of upside for me unless Edmonds gets hurt but I think people forget the fact that the last three years he's been a top 15 running back when healthy I mean keywords like I said 
when healthy. This guy is always getting hurt. He's never really played 16 games, but I think people forget about the fact that, I mean, Kenyon Drake last year, and he was not at all what we were expecting, was still the running back 14 last year with Chase Edmonds averaging over 10 touches a game last year. And Edmonds does concern me because, again, Edmonds has 45 career games, and he's had 10-plus carries just three times in 45 career games. That's obviously a little concerning. And then when beat reporters are coming out and saying that Chase Edmonds is the RB1 to James Connors RB1A, or Edmonds is the RB1A to James Connors RB1 right now, that scares me. And the other thing that scares me is Vegas itself. And I think Vegas and the bookmakers and stuff always just know a little bit more than they do. And I don't know how much attention they truly pay to player pro, sorry, to player props. But I think it's interesting noting that in a 16 game schedule last year, Chase Edmonds had 52 catches. And now they added a game, 17 games, and his over under for receptions is 45 and a half. Without Kenyon Drake, when he's expected to be the starter, that's down seven with an extra game. Maybe, again, maybe I'm just being a conspiracy theorist and I mean, they're just like, they don't care about Chase Edmonds. But to me, that's a little bit concerning because that says to me that maybe they're expecting less of a role. But again, like you said, Connor can't stay healthy. And if he's not healthy, I mean, I think Chase Edmonds is going to eat. I'm just not ending up with really eat a lot of either of them right now where they're going in drafts. But I think they're both interesting. But another guy sticking in the... I don't know. At this point, it's hard to say, Ian, if he if he's really in this running back dead zone because this is a guy that's kind of moving up and up and up every time we look. But, you know, we talk about the preseason again and what things look like, and it's scary, and that's Travis Etienne. So I have to ask, what are your expect expectations for Travis Etienne this season? I'm someone that's actually really high on Travis Etienne because the way I see it in my mind is, like, I'm not counting Trevor Lawrence as the first pick because, I mean, he is the first pick of the Urban Myers tenure, but that's the quarterback. But the first real non-obvious franchise QB pick for the Jaguars this year was Travis Etienne. That team has so many holes to fill and then some, and you're choosing a running back after what James Con- I mean, after what James Robinson did last year. That's just crazy to me. I don't think they have any loyalty to Robinson. I think he's a great story, and I wish he was the only running back in that backfield so we could see James RB1 sin produce big numbers again um, as you created. But again, I don't think they have loyalty to him. He's an undrafted free agent, and they're picking Travis Etienne for a reason if he is the first non-Trevor Lawrence pick. I think he's going to play a big role this year, but obviously in the first preseason game, we didn't really see that. We saw a little bit more hesitation from them and he didn't have the workload that we would have wanted to see um so far in a preseason so where are you at on travis Etienne? am i too high on him getting too excited are you are we in the same boat no i think it's fair uh i got him rb19 ahead of dobbins javante miles a couple of those other guys and okay. i'm not really moving them off that spot after seeing uh the preseason usage like mm-hmm. i have a feeling that urban isn't really showing his hand yet i mean he doesn't I don't know that we're ever going to see a full Percy Harvin role. I think ETM will be more of a uh, full-time running back than receiver. With that said, 10 snaps in the backfield, zero in the slot, three out wide for ETN in that first game. And a couple of those out wide ones were like straight up two-minute drill, like five wide sets. So we could see a situation, I think, where the offense looks marketably different in week one compared to what we were seeing in the preseason. Either way, like let's say he is just in a three-back committee for the time being. Like let's expect the first-round pick to break out of that sooner rather than later, man. So for me, like we're drafting, if you look at ETN relative to a lot of the past first-round running backs, I was uh, doing a study on ADP and this kind of stuff today it's not exactly like he's going at an egregious rate i mean again just based on past first round running backs the only guys that are cheaper than where etn is going were todd Gurley, sony michelle melvin gordon and rashad penny so you know a lot of other guys saquon zeke mccaffrey clyde even jacobs and fournette like all these guys were going ahead of where ETN was going. I think ETN's actually RB24. So Gordon was even cheaper uh, than, um, or Gordon was more expensive than where ETN is going at the moment. So, you know, history tells us first round running backs take over sooner rather than later. Like, do we really think Urban came out of retirement just to feature James Robinson? Not that there's anything against, you know, RB1 son and all that. I just don't <laughs> know why you spend the pick on ETN if you're not going to feature the guy. Maybe we get a thunder and lightning situation, but in our weird game that we play called fantasy football, we want the lightning, the guy catching the pass passes and that is Travis Etienne. So I would just say too, like if you're in a keeper league, like I know a lot of people have, you know, the one or two spots you can keep someone like Etienne has a lot of extra value in that round, you know, five, six range, because he's someone that, you know, would not shock any of us, I think to see a top 10, top 12 ADP this time next year. So same reason with Javante and, um, 
Trey Sermon, man. Like if you have your, like I've, I've been pounding the table for most of it over Sermon and redraft and best ball and all that. But if we're talking like a keeper potential Sermon versus most in round eight, give me Sermon eight days of the week. So that was a fun little uh, thing I was just looking at this morning where kind of the relationship between ADP for these rookie running backs compared to the second year. I only looked at the top three round guys because once you go past that, we have so many scrubs and just exceptions that we probably shouldn't be hanging our hat on in the first place. But in that group of just top three round back since 2015, 28 of 35 of them saw their ADP increase from their first year to their wow. second year. The okay. average the average change in just running back ranks, not overall running back ranks, was nine spots. So, I mean, all these guys, we could expect to see them, you know, jump up multiple tiers ahead of next season. So keep that in mind as a tiebreaker uh, when you're targeting these guys more in the middle rounds. Yeah, and I think one of the things to go back to a little bit with the, the Travis Etienne is the fact that you said Urban Myers might not not, not sorry might not be showing his cards all the way. And I was reading an article about that. Someone brought up a couple statements from Urban Myers' time at Ohio State and how this guy really like just likes to lie to the media and make himself look like an idiot. But I think this is still one of the most winningest coaches in college football history. A guy that really knows what he's doing. And I know, of course, at the NFL level, it's different, and people want to be quick to criticize him. But again, I'm going to hang my hat just like you do around the running back 19 range that he drafted him as the first non-Trevor Lawrence player for a reason and they expect to use him in a big role this season and I will stand by that Um, but that is enough about Travis Etienne the next question that have to ask and this is a, a question for us fantasy managers and everybody including me and you are always feel like we're playing darts in the dark and we're just trying to hit a bullseye and we really don't know we can take an educated guess based on the wind or the temperature of the room where the darts are going but that's the late round tight end and I I left this a little bit open-ended for you if you could choose your definition of a late round tight end but who is the non-top three or top five tight end right now that you are targeting in your drafts that is going to end up being a top six or top five tight end this year in fantasy football Getting closer to Gerald Everett only because we haven't seen our preseason snaps take his, you know, allure away yet. My goodness, man. Like that was the big takeaway for me for the preseason. We saw Mike Jasicki predictably lose his, uh, you know, future role in the offense. I know he had the big catch, but Durham Smythe and even, um, Who's the other guy? Uh, Adam Shaheen. We're both working way ahead of him. The Dolphins' three wide receivers are now Parker, Waddle, and Fuller. So Jasicki is really going to have to make the most out of, I think, 50 to 60 targets as opposed to, you know, the 80 or 90 a lot of people are hoping for. Adam Troutman was being used far more as a block first tight end than we were hoping for. Wow. Something named like Jawan Johnson is now someone we need to be worrying about in that Saints offense. Anthony Ferkser was losing slot snaps to Chester Rogers that I didn't think was going to happen. I mean, just one tight end after another in this late round area was getting hurt. Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, like that situation is looking worse than ever. So to me, Gerald Everett sticks out as the one guy that's still kind of in this tight end two range that we could see take over as the tight end one in a very good offense. So coming over from, you know, coming from the Rams with Shane Waldron seemingly has a nice connection there. I'm not sure Everett would have made that, you know, leap of faith without some sort of assurance that he could be out there. Still have Disley like Colby Parkinson. There's some guys that he's got to beat out. But I think Everett, you know, just based on a lot of these tight end twos that we've seen now uh, not really have the roles we were hoping for, Everett just almost by uh, default now has, I think, the better chance to keep things going. So I've always kind of maintained that Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, if we could just give them one tight end, like one good tight end for the whole year, they're scoring <laughs> 10 touchdowns like every single season. The problem is both guys, particularly in recent years, have had uh, you know just multiple guys out there, so it's hard to get a grip on which guy we should be uh, targeting in fantasy land. But I think you know with the Seahawks, all the reports are saying more tempo, more of an emphasis on the intermediate area of the field. I mean, it could be, man, Gerald ever working as this offense is number three overall pass game option. It's not a guarantee, but again, just after seeing a lot of the other guys like Troutman and Ferkser, who I probably would have been hyping up this time last week, after seeing their snaps not look anywhere close to what we were hoping for, I would say Gerald Everett's one we should be throwing our darts at now. I like that. I like that. He is not my pick, but he actually would have been a top three pick for me in terms of of doing it. I probably would have two guys over him, but the guy I have to go to, and, and I have to say a lot of this offseason, I have not been in on him, but it was, you know, just trying to, you know, dig deeper and I'm playing my Rocky music in my head as I feel like I really found someone here that I'm, I'm really starting to fall in love with. And that's, that's Logan Thomas. And you, you, you know, people might be listening and say, that's not a late round tight end. But I mean, this is a guy that in, in drafts I'm, I've been doing, he's going in the ninth, 10th, or even the 11th round sometimes, which just feels criminal to me. And the biggest reason why is I know that, you know, 
they have Curtis Samuel now and they have more options. But the fact that this guy was last year, he was first in tight end route percentage in the entire NFL. He ran more routes than any other tight end in the National Football League. And when you're running more routes, that means more targets. This is still a guy that was third in targets last year. This is his second year at tight end. And there's a lot of beat reporters that were hyping up that saying this guy is going to have a big year. Last year was his first real year at tight end. And you saw what he was able to do. I mean, in his breakout year, and people are saying he's just getting better. And then if you want to play the Curtis Samuel narrative, Curtis Samuel is injured. He's been on the pup, but he hasn't been playing. And I'm, I think regardless of Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas is still going to get a lot of, I mean, a lot of targets. And the other thing that people don't talk about enough, and this is why I'm sorry for you, Tyler, Tyler Higby truthers, but I just can't get on board is tight ends have to be someone athletic. We never see top five tight ends besides maybe Zach Ertz that, I mean, aren't super, super hyper athletic. And Logan Thomas meets that. I mean, he's an, he's a phenomenal athlete and one of the better athletes at tight end. And I think this is a similar to the Darren Waller narrative where I was fading him last year, even though he was athletic because I thought, okay, more competition this year. I know it's different with Darren Waller because Darren Waller was the clear number one target and Logan Thomas won't be that because of F1 McLaurin. But I think that this guy is still going to get a lot of tight, I mean, a lot of routes because he has no one competing with him on their tight end depth chart and he might lead the league in tight end routes run once again. So I have to ask Ian, are you, is Logan Thomas someone that you're buying right now? Yeah, to me, I mean, he doesn't – I think a late-round tight end is, like, outside mm-hmm. the top 12. I have Thomas as my tight end nine. I would still take, like, yeah. Tunyon, Noah Fant ahead of him. But, yeah, it looks good. The one concern with Thomas, I would say, is similar to McKissick. Like, last year with the way they just didn't have any receivers to go through, a ton of Thomas's production came in the slot or out wide. You know, he was playing 90% plus, so I don't think it's uh, – it's not like Anthony Ferkser who had similar usage and he, like, just wasn't even on the field a lot of the times. Yeah. Thomas was still playing in-line tight end, uh, you know, for a bunch of snaps too. So I think those concerns are mitigated for him. And, yeah, if you can – you know, that, that might be the move, man. Like, you know, uh, screw trying to throw three darts at these uh, last uh, tight end two options and you'll wind up with my – 2020 best ball teams that had like Herndon, Jarwin, and Sternberger. <laughs> and you're like, damn, none of these uh, darts hit. So, yeah, maybe just a round earlier than you were planning. Take Logan Thomas, and I think you'll feel much better about these other guys or Gerald Everett. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. And like I said, it, it might have been a little bit, I mean, cheating because I think he is inside the top 10. But I think just where, in terms of rounds where he's going, I was willing to, to, you know, make that pick. But if you want, if people want to hate on me for it, that is totally fine. But I love the Gerald Everett pick. The other guy, if you people are, wondering about the mystery that I probably would have picked right in front of him would be someone like Johnny Smith. Um, I like the role that he could play in New England, the hyper-athleticism and the fact that he's gotten better every single year. Um, but I digress off of that. Ian, the other thing that I, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, this is one of my – probably the question I was the second most excited maybe I'd say to ask you is you did the Fantasy Files series. So if you could explain to us a little bit about that and your whole process with that for people that don't know. But my real question to you is – what player changed your opinion the most while doing the fantasy file series? The guy that, you know, before you were going in, you were excited to research and you finished, you've done a hundred of these about, or you're almost done a hundred and you were just like, holy crap, like this guy is way better or way worse than I thought. So please. Yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, yeah, there's hundred articles in a hundred days. And then I just turn it into a podcast, man. I saw, uh, you know, some of in the industry or, I won't name names, but people can probably figure it out. Like I, I heard someone saying like, oh, I don't know, like writing long form these days is just not what you want to do. People want short, concise content and all that. That's great. I don't even disagree. Like the shorter, the sweeter. I think Einstein said like make everything as simple as possible, but 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 no simpler. So I think that's great. The better you can condense, you know, why waste 100 words on something you can say in 10? That's fine. I'll just say, man, we, we get tricky with these things. We have other people saying, oh, you know, watching preseason isn't good for you. It's just watching the games isn't good. Like a lot of people use these sort of excuses to convince themselves like that they don't need to work harder. So, hey, whatever, man, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. I focus on myself. And I would just say, you know, personally, I find that writing all these words, wow, yeah, okay, I don't expect people to really read every last word. But, man, the amount, I just think it helps myself be able to podcast and being able to remember things and being able to sort through problems. The act of writing is so huge with that. So I understand it's a lot easier these days to pull up a podcast, talking to a camera for an hour, as opposed to writing an article for eight hours. But if I didn't write that article, I really don't think I'd be nearly as good and, you know, just knowledgeable when I'm asked to do uh, the other things that are getting more views and probably clicks anyway. So for all the young, uh, you know, just content producers out there, uh, you know, don't necessarily be trying to make these easy way out. It happens in all, all times of life, you know, kids saying, oh, I'm, I'm better at weighing it. No, no, you aren't. Prepare, 
failure prepare is uh, preparing to failure as, as they like to, preparing to fail. So just, you know, wanted to get that off my chest because again, Please. just going through this series has been so helpful for me, just being more comfortable and knowledgeable about everything. I would say though, the answer to your main question, I think Kirk cousins is someone that really has been popping out to me. And, you know, if you just don't want to draft Kirk because he refuses to get vaccinated, you know, you, you, you do you, I would just say there's a lot of, uh, you know, certain members of the Chiefs and Bengals that are pretty much consensus top two round picks that are much worse uh, real life people than anything that uh, anti-vaxxer happens to be doing out here. But with that out of the table, just realize people, Kirk Cousins has been nothing short of a great quarterback with the Vikings. And so I know it's not as sexy as like Lamar or Deshaun or some of these other guys, but since he's gone to Minnesota, he's seventh in PFF passing grade among 50 qualified guys. He's tied with Russell Wilson for 11th in yards per attempt fourth and adjusted completion rate. Like he has been great in fantasy land. He's provided a lot more upside. than I think people realize like last year, only Aaron Rodgers have more games with at least three touchdown passes. And I get it. Vikings run first offense. I don't necessarily expect their defense to be quite as bad as they were last year. But we're not relying on Kirk Cousins for the whole year. We just need him as a streamer because for whatever reason, people are not respecting him at all as a fantasy quarterback. So he's pretty much free in your typical one QB draft. So who do we all want? Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Unfortunately, Matt Nagy and Kyle Shanahan might not give us them in week one. So who do we draft to cover it up? We draft Kirk Cousins because the Vikings start with the Bengals the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Browns, the Lions, the Panthers, the Cowboys. The first seven games, man, are completely erotic. It's absolutely fantastic. And they'll get you through the time we need to get back to Fields and Lance. So if you want to, you know, go a different direction, that's fine. But for me, you know, just finding that bridge option and Cousins to get us through the time where we'll get Fields or Lance, I think is just absolutely essential because Lance and Fields, they have the rushing upside. They have the arm talent. Like I'm in on them being top 10, top 12 QBs, uh, you know, from the the second they get on the field uh, and, and they're right but I think Cousins can get us to that point better than uh, just about anyone so it's one of those things where uh, you know if you're doing a ranking competition like if you're just out there trying to make a name for yourself and the fantasy pros ranking thing like you got to put these guys lower that's why I don't really like that uh, competition when it comes to trying to win fantasy football leagues which I think should be most people's goals in this industry because like yeah of course you're not ranking Trey Lance ahead of Trevor Lawrence when Trevor Lawrence is probably going to start uh, potentially five or more games we're looking at total fantasy points so if you're looking at what guy do you want under center when you know everyone is starting I do think it's Lance and Fields and yeah you're not Taking two quarterbacks, I know some people have a problem with that. And I would, too, if you're taking like you're taking like Lamar Jackson or Mahomes, like, no, you don't need a second quarterback. But all of a sudden, if we can more or less ensure that we have a QB1 between Cousins and Fields and Lance and we can acquire all their services for double-digit round picks, I, I think you can really help. Uh, you know, you can give yourself a lot of QB upside uh, with guys that are not being priced anywhere near QB1s. Absolutely. I think that's a great thing. And especially for, I mean, I've had two, two straight guests. I think you could, you could have been the third, um, but you already gave your flag plant on my show that said that Trey Lance is their flag plant. And I think that plays perfectly into the Trey, uh, the Kirk Cousins narrative is again, like I've been talking all season that like we've never seen a top three pick not start. I mean, at some point during their season when they're a quarterback. And I think that Kirk Trey Lance is going to be that guy, but the point is Kirk Cousins. And I think Kirk Cousins is a perfect bridge quarterback to bridge you until you get those guys that might lead you to a title um, in fantasy football. So I love the Kirk Cousins pick. I love how soft his schedule is opening up. And I, I absolutely love all of it. The guy that I, you might've called this first before anyone, and we're actually starting to see it happening within the last couple of days is Antonio Gibson. I mean, that was one of your first ones today that you, I think it was on your article or the pod, you said maybe the DC CMC. And we're seeing that actually come into fruition right now with Kyle Allen saying on the podcast that they're trying to force him into that CMC role. But Antonio Gibson, besides the CMC role for me, is the fact that, I mean, like you pointed out in an article that he was fifth in PFF rushing grade among 45, 47 qualified running backs. And that's just a first time running back with 33 career carries in college. He was fifth in more missed tackles forced per attempt, 15th in yards per carry, 33rd in yards after contact per carry, but it did improve over the course of the season. Number one in stuff rate, which is not getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage. But his coaches have said that him playing the running back position in offseason reports, it's like night and day compared to him. And he's seeing things way better. And you can take that for what it is. And I know that there's turf toe concerns, but you know, that's what we have you for Ian. You had Antonio Gibson, you talked to him for us and he said that his turf toe would be fine. And he's expected to play more third downs and he has huge target upside this year, especially with a team. I know it was Alex Smith last year. And we talked about that, 
the target distribution is going to be a little bit different. But regardless, this is still an offense as a whole that 150 plus targets go to the running back position. And someone's going to tell me that J.D. McKissick is going to be stealing all those touches when he's had less than 100 carries in almost every single season, I think, but one of his NFL career. He's had more than 50 targets just once in his career. I mean, again, I'm not scared of a 28 year old journeyman that's played on three or four teams at this point. I'm all in on Antonio Gibson. Are you still feeling the same way? So I'm, I'm in on Gibson as an RB1. I have him ranked uh, RB11 in PPR, but I have him right next to Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor, who I think really have similar roles to what Gibson is expecting. I know McKissick isn't like the scariest guy. I That's why I have Gibson ahead of Chubb and Taylor. I, I think his chance of taking over McKissick is better than Chubb completely relegating Kareem Hunt to the bench or Taylor completely getting rid of Naeem Hines. With that said, McKissick is still there. And for us to assume um, that he's going to be gone is a little bit short-sighted. I think uh, Rich Rebar said it really perfect. Uh, he tweeted us out a couple days ago, but it's almost like when we just expected Giovanni Bernard to disappear when Joe Mixon was there. And now it's kind of ironic because Gio is gone and people are now down on Mixon. But yeah, I have Mixon ranked ahead of Antonio Gibson because Mixon, Najee Harris, Saquon, Zeke, Dalvin, McCaffrey, they have the role that we want Gibson to have. So I'm fine projecting an increase to an extent. I don't think the distribution and targets will be as stark as it was last year. But that said, McKissick just led the position in targets. They brought him back. And in the first preseason game, which no, what players do in the preseason game don't necessarily matter, but the snap rates with the first team offense do because we're not, it's between what the coaches are putting on the field with their first team offense or the depth chart, some PR intern randomly put together a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the first team snaps. And with those, they were once again, yanking Gibson off on every single third down in favor of McKissick. We even had Peyton Barber coming in for the early down stuff, which I thought was completely out of the question. I'm hoping that was just, you know, more of a preseason thing. But, yeah, I don't know if Gibson's going to be getting the McCaffrey 90% plus role because that's only Christian McCaffrey. And uh, John Dago from Roto World found some good receipts. Washington has this awful habit of calling, like, all their running backs McCaffrey. Last year alone, they said McKissick can do some things that are like McCaffrey. They said Bryce Love has, like, a three-down skill set similar to McCaffrey. Of course, Gibson got the comp as well. Like, damn it, Ron Rivera, if he ever sees Christian McCaffrey on the streets, man, I think CMC is going to have something to uh, say to the guy there. keeps comparing all these different players to him. So, hey, I love Gibson. If he can get that role, then absolutely. But, you know, if Taylor or Chubb or Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Chris Carson gets that role, I think they would be fine as well. Ultimately, I'm projecting for the role that, you know, we're expecting him to get. And it does line up a little bit more with Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor than I think people would prefer. So, yeah, I, I see the path to, path to excellence, man. I'm just not so sure uh, the Washington football team is going to feel like they have to give Gibson uh, that many more touches. So, yeah, you know, credit to Kyle Allen for saying that in an interview, but I'm going to pay attention to the first team snap rates that the coach uh, was actually in charge of. Didn't didn't he play though 11, 11 out of fourteen snaps with the first team? Am I am I getting that the right? Only, yeah, the only time he got yanked off with the freaking snaps that we wanted to see him on. So down, that's the sure. that's the problem, man. We'll yep, for sure, for sure. Well, that I, that's that's really interesting, and I'll definitely have to keep that in mind. But like you said, it's not like you're calling. I mean, Antonio Gibson a bad player. He's still the running back eleven, and I don't want people to forget about that. That just because he's not in on third daps, third downs right now, doesn't mean that you're completely fading him. And I think it's an important point to make. But I, I like what you said, Najee and Joe Mixon, because of the opportunity for the touches. And I think that it was you that gave the stat that for running backs that. I mean, hit like 320 plus touches. They're running back ones 98% of the time for 280 plus. They're running back ones like 87% of the time or 88% of the time. It's just ridiculous. The guys that are going to get the touches, I'm, I'm with you there as long as, you know, the mix and stuff continues. And I think they could have a huge season this year. But again, that is for another podcast. I digress. The last two questions I have for you are probably the biggest questions that people are going to listen to today. So these are pretty critical. And the first one is who is the player that is going to let fantasy managers down the most this year in fantasy football? Let them down the most. Uh, if we're looking like highly drafted yeah, guys, I would say I'm just scanning real quick. 
I think it could be maybe Dallas Goddard, man. If people aren't getting behind the idea that Ertz is going to freaking be there. Like, I know Goddard is the better receiver, but if the Eagles are really going back to, you know, the real slim shady Ertz at this point, then I don't know why we can continue to treat Goddard as the wide receiver or tight end six or seven. I had him there too when it seemed like Ertz was going to be traded to the Bills every other day during the offseason. That didn't happen, so we need to adjust. And in real life, man, if you have two fancy – if you have two – tight ends regularly involved in your offense you usually have zero fancy relevant ones so it's unfortunate man goddard or smith both amazing like backup tight ends that we've been hoping to get featured roles unfortunately conklin seems like he's taking rudolph's uh, job pretty much one for one and for goddard he's got Ertz uh, staying in the picture so goddard if you are still pricing him as a top six top seven tight end i think you're going to be losing on that so take your guy logan thomas ahead of dallas goddard man i think you'll have much better success there for sure. I like that. I, I'm with you on that pick, especially with Zach Ertz. I mean, coming back in that role, just not someone I'm willing to draft right now. Um, I'm with you. The guy for me, and I, it sounds like I, from what from what I heard a little bit from what we were talking earlier, we might disagree on this one. It's, it's Mike Evans for me. Um, and I, I love Mike Evans, the player. I hear you, everybody that's screaming into their phone right now or yelling at their dad that this idiot just said that he doesn't like Mike Evans this year because he's had six straight 1,000-yard seasons. Or I, I, I understand. But I think the thing is for me, I mean, he had his lowest lowest target share since his rookie season by over 4% last year. And I think Antonio Brown, by all camp reports, is he's just been destroying everybody. But the reason for me that I'm not driving Mike Evans is two things. One is his role. And I think Mike Evans still might be the alpha role in that offense. But I think it's the fact that they just have so many weapons that week to week is going to be so difficult when you have Mike Evans, Gronk, Godwin. A.B., Gio Bernard now, and they might throw more passes to running backs. They're getting O.J. Howard, but they have all these guys, and I'm not willing to take Mike Evans when already last year with Antonio Brown only playing half the season. Mike Evans had ten, sorry, Mike Evans had three or less catches in 10 out of 20 games last year. Do you really want to be betting on a guy as a borderline wide receiver one that had three or less catches in half of his games last year? I mean, that's that's just a little crazy for me. I'm just not willing to take Mike Evans where he's drafted. And I think maybe he'll finish around there, but I think just the volatility week to week is going to kill fantasy teams because he's either going to have really big games, but if he doesn't catch a touchdown, I think he's going to really let fantasy managers down week to week. So it sounds like we're, we're not in agreement there, but hopefully you can see at least where I'm coming from. No, I got you. I mean, the craziest that I had with the targets was he had seven games or fewer than five targets in 2020. Mm -hmm. Five games with fewer than seven targets in 2014 to 2019 combined. The thing is, they're coming from Tom freaking Brady. But no, nah, it's the disparity between him, Goblin, and AB has always been absurd. I mean, I'm looking back. I tweeted on May 10th. Uh, the targets in 12 games after AB entered the offense. It was Goblin 85, Evans 84, and uh, AB 74. At that point, their underdog ADPs were Goblin wide receiver 18, Evans wide receiver 16, Antonio Brown wide receiver 47. So he's really come down almost like 15, 20 spots over the course of the summer, as he should. But yeah, I have Goblin uh, ranked one spot ahead of Evans, and AB is uh, you know someone that I have kind of around that waddle range right there in the early 30s. So getting a lot of Goblin, a lot of AB. I'm not out on Evans, but, you know, hey, I'm not exactly getting a bunch of them as well. So I think it's a fine call. For sure. For sure. I appreciate that. And again, like you said, we're not, I'm not calling Mike Evans a bad player, people. I'm not saying yeah, that he can have a thousand yards. I'm just saying the week to week volatility is just not for me where he's being drafted right there. And it's just as simple as that. But the final question, similar to the flag plant question that I had for you on the first episode of the season for me, is who is the player that will lead fantasy managers to a title this year? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But I, I, I have mine. I can go first. Well, I'll give you, give you a little time to think. And mine is Jalen Hurts. And, and I just cannot get off the Jalen Hurts bandwagon. And I think you also helped me be on this Jalen Hurts bandwagon. I have a stat from you in this. I mean, in my argument here, and people have heard me over and over. But and this is still a guy. Two out of his three starts last year, he passed for over 330 yards. He averaged 79 rushing yards per game in those three starts. And the thing that people don't talk about enough is like, I know he had a bad completion percentage, but he was still the QB three in fantasy during his three starts with that bad completion percentage and his offensive line starting five, five players missed a combined 48 games last year. That's three and a half out of total five missed seasons. It just doesn't make sense. But my Ian Harded stat for you, the wonderful stat that you had in your Jalen Hurts article is – I mean, the stat itself is since 2010, there have been 22 instances of a quarterback totaling at least 100 rushing attempts in a season, which is only four and a half per game. And 15 of them finish as a top eight quarterback. 
That's 68%. But beyond that, take that one step further, 19 out of 22 were top eight in fantasy points per game. That's an 87% rate at rushing four and a half <laughs> times per game, people. Not what Jalen Hurts is probably going to run where it's seven, eight, nine rush attempts. That is four and a half, which is not that much. I just don't get it. And the only people that you cite in this article that didn't hit that, the three people that weren't top eight in fantasy points per game, 2012 Tim Tebow, 2014 Colin Kaepernick, and 22 dumpster fire offense of my New England Patriots, Cam Newton. And now they add Kenny Gainwell. They add Devontae Smith. You get Zach Ertz back and a potentially healthy offensive line, and he was already a top three QB in his five starts last year. It's absolute madness to me. Jalen Hurts is going to lead people to a fantasy title this year, and I'm a full believer in it. And, Ian, we are friends here. Please do not tell me you disagree. He is down now to QB 10. That's fine. It was funny, though. He was like QB 7, almost even QB 6 for portions of the offseason. Like, you'd ask, like, oh, like, who's your favorite late-round quarterback this year? And everyone would be saying Jalen Hurts. And it's like, well, he's not really a late-round quarterback. But now that he's going as QB 10, yeah, man, I've actually had a lot of exposure to him recently in best ball land. So, yeah, as much as we have concerns about how much of a high-end you know, high passer he might be efficiency-wise – Whatever. We don't really care about style points. This got, dude still got two 300-yard games and four starts. I mean, it took Josh Allen to his third season before he could say he even <laughs> did that once. So he was actually on pace. If you just take his rush attempts in those four games and extrapolate them over 16, he was on pace to break the single-season rushing record. So in terms of, like, rushing attempts. So Lamar Jackson owns the top three seasons in our rush attempts all the time. Jalen Hurts could break into that uh, with a good 2021. 20, so I like that call. I'm going to go with Joe Mixon, someone that I've uh, battled a lot of people with on Twitter throughout the offseason. <laughs> Look, Bengals, Brian Callahan, their OC, has told us all offseason they want him to be a three-down guy. And I've even seen some, you know, mainstream media news blurb organizations like try to twist their words where they're like, oh, like, well, Callahan said that they're not going to play Mixon for 75 snaps a game. McCaffrey has played 75 snaps in a game twice. Like, that's just an insane number that most offenses don't even reach. So I think the, the, co the coordinator was like literally being like facetious how the hell you say that word? Like just almost being like a dick saying like, well, I'm not going to play him 75 snaps a game. And people were actually like, oh, he's not going to be an every down running back then. So ultimately, like he's the sixth highest paid running back in total contract value. Yep. Last year, he was the freaking RB10 in fantasy points per game before he got hurt. People go, oh, well, take out his great game against the Jaguars. Like, no, I'm not going to take that out. Just like I'm not going to take out the bad games he had either. So the big thing for Mixon has always been Giovanni Bernard taking the targets. Giovanni Bernard is now gone, and we've gotten freaking his own coaches telling us that Mixon is going to be the guy catching passes and pass blocking now. So last year, Mixon averaged a whopping 0.25 fewer PPR points per game than Jonathan Taylor, yet people like refuse to even acknowledge the possibility that Mixon over uh, surpasses him. And people say, oh, what about the Bengals' offensive line? What about McCaffrey's offensive line? What about Dalvin Cook's offensive line? What about Saquon's? We don't care about theirs, just like we shouldn't care about Mixon's because he's going to have more volume than just about anyone. So before you send me, you know, your, oh, Michael Scott, I'm ready to be hurt again, uh, Jeff, about Joe Mixon, like where, where exactly have we gotten hurt so bad by Joe Mixon? Again, last year he got hurt. The dude didn't miss more than two games any other season in his career. 2019, he was the overall RB13. 2018, he was the overall RB10. And like that was with Gio taking the targets away that stopped him from being a top five guy. So legit, I mean, Gio was getting 40 to 60 targets per year. Mixon, running backs that get 300 plus touches don't miss. And like I've even had people come back to the mix and stuff and be like, well, he'll be top 12 only because of like inefficient volume. Great. We, again, we don't care how they get there. Style points don't matter in fantasy football. It's weird that receiving running backs have such a, you know, just in rushing quarterbacks. Like these dual threat players are pretty much cheat codes. I don't disagree with someone that says Mixon isn't a top 10 real life running back. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. But just in terms of pure volume, Mixon has so much of it. And the reasons people are trying to make up to get away from that, I just don't think make much sense. So Mixon, as you know, that second round RB, I think, you know, is just a prime guy that can basically allow you to get your Kelsey, your Devontae, your Tyreek, whoever you want in round one, get Mixon as your anchor in round two, fill out with a bunch more wide receivers. I think you'll be very happy by the time Championship Sunday comes along. 
I love it. I love to hear it. I think that Mixon is one of my higher exposure first couple round players right now. I think I have him on, on my six redraft team so far. I think I have him on three or four out of my six teams so far. So I mean, I'm, I'm with you on Mixon. I think the narratives that people keep burning him, I think that's a thing to take advantage of on Twitter over and over because people love to fade these people because they burned them last year. But forget about last year. We're looking forward to the present and the future. And that is why we'll be drafting Joe Mixon this year. And I think I have, I have to ask real quick. When you came on my show, this was back in March, actually. You said that Deontay Johnson was your flag plant for this season. That was before Juju resigned. I'm asking you now: Is Joe Mixon now your flag plant for this season? Yeah, we'll go with Joe. It was. Okay. I was more on Deontay, hoping Juju was going to be gone because sure. then it's like, what is he going to get like 20 targets per game <laughs> at this point? So it's not the end of the world. I still think Deontay is number one uh, in Pittsburgh, but I, I've moved him. I think I've moved him from like wide receiver 13 to 16. So I'm still yeah. way above consensus on uh, Deontay. But yeah, let's go mixing as the flag plant. Let's do I it. I love it. I love it. And the reason I ask is because I think you just you just tied it up for now. I mean, I only have a couple more flag plants left to ask people this season, but you just tied it up for the lead in flag plants for this season. <laughs> the other one, surprisingly enough, and this actually is my flag plant, is DeAndre Swift is the other leader in flag plants from the podcast. I think there's a pretty amazing case that the deep dives on Twitter have found for him. And if he can get over this stupid groin injury, because I am going to really be hating myself all season if this groin injury hurts him um, because I have a lot of shares, but again, a conversation for another day, but Ian, it was phenomenal having you on the show. I think you are absolutely one of the stars of this fantasy football industry. And it's great for me to have guests like you on the show, because I think you are as good as it gets in the fantasy football industry. And I would not be saying that if I didn't mean it. So please, because I think that, Tell my listeners where they can find you. Tell me what they should be looking at because I think people need to get more of you. Please tell us. Appreciate the kind words, man. Yeah, check me out, pff.com, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I got episodes coming out pretty much every day. Going to ease things back a little bit with uh, the 100 pods, 100 articles, and 100 days uh, finally being done. But there are, you know, I tried to make as evergreen as I could uh, throughout the summer. And, you know, just if you want to pay attention, again, like preseason, I think a lot of people overlook it in some – Fantasy analysts will even tell you it doesn't matter, and I just think they are wrong because they're probably just being a little bit lazy. So you don't need to watch every game. I've done that for you, and you can check out my pod with Dwayne McFarlane that dropped today, uh, recording this on a Wednesday. So if we check that out, it's about an hour long. We just go through all the actionable uh, usage nuggets that I think you'll need to know. Also, I have 17 key takeaways from preseason week one article up on pff.com. So good time talking to you, man, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love the take. That is a great, great little plug there. And like you said, you can go and find those stuff so people don't have to. Why waste all your hours and time looking through other random articles when you have a perfectly good article? Or for the lazier people, you have a podcast that you can just throw back, sit in your chair, eat your popcorn or your peanut butter pretzels, my snack of choice, and enjoy it. But thank you so much for everyone listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast today. It's always a pleasure listening to you, especially when you can listen to great guests like Ian. You can find more of that with the shows coming up twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday. But thank you so much. The best way that you guys can support me is leaving a review. It's the only way I can get feedback to be the best that we can possibly be. But like I said, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.